0: Hello and welcome once more to Country Roads Confidential. I'm your host, Chris Anderson, publisher of Earsports, the West Virginia site on the 247sports.com network. You're hearing this, most likely, on a Friday morning. Uh, And it is Kansas week. The Mountaineers travel to Lawrence, Kansas, to take on the Jayhawks, the suddenly rejuvenated offense under Les Miles' over in Kansas, uh, just got finished with a 48-24 beatdown of Boston College in Chestnut Hill. Kind of a 180 from the previous week, much like West Virginia had after a disappointing showing at Missouri and then a promising rebound against NC State this past weekend. So to help me try to figure out what in the world is going on with both of these teams, I am welcoming Scott Chasen of fog.net. He covers the Jayhawks for, for our Kansas uh, sister site. Scott, how are things today?
1: Things are good. Things are good. It's been a wild uh, week in Lawrence. As as you put it, I think both teams that we cover uh, happen to have pretty big weeks that maybe it was hard to see coming at a certain point, but yeah, it's been fun.
0: Now I, this, this, kind of 180 that they took. West Virginia, just embarrassed by Missouri, 38-7, to 7, couldn't do anything offensively, um, got worn down defensively. And there were some changes, uh, a little more spark from the offense this time around, a little more blocking, a little more creativity with, with the scheming. And, and those were the results there. It, it remains to be seen if they can maintain that week to week. But what what changed for Kansas in, in from week 2 to week 3 after losing 12-7 at home to Coastal Carolina then going to Boston College to what we're going to say middle of the pack ACC team mm-hmm. and, and just doubling them up 48-24 what what changed there
1: Yeah I would say a complete shift in offensive strategy and it's worth noting and and I think interesting that Les Miles kind of dug his heels in a little bit uh, at his press conference this week. He said the offense was the same, the plays basically just worked better, but uh, we actually have charted every possession that KU or every uh, play KU has had this year. The formations were drastically different. KU hadn't run any uh, four-wide receiver stuff. They did that, seemed like about a third of the time, over 60% of the time, they had three wide receivers. Uh, This was a team that wanted to be a power-running team, against Coastal Carolina, and it worked to some success, uh, but they didn't ha- use any spread concepts. The RPO was uh, very limited in use, and the Jayhawks really opened that up against Boston College, and it worked to perfection. That's the personnel they have. They should be uh, putting guys like Puka Williams, who's a smaller running back, in, in space, basically, and yes, they can still have those power running plays. Les Miles has this uh, toss out of the I formation that goes up the middle, that he's run about 4,500 times in three games this year. It's worked once and it was an 82 yard run. So, uh, and that was last week. So you can expect to see it uh, a bunch more, but yeah, I mean, uh, Brent Deerman is a guy they brought in as a senior offensive consultant. He was at Bethel college last year. Uh, His offense averaged like 55 points and 500 yards per game. It was the top scoring offense at any level of college football. And this guy literally wrote a book on RPOs and, uh, it seems like his kind of impact on the program seems like they listened to him more. They used some of his concepts and uh, he actually tweeted about how well they played after the game and hashtagged the RPO. Uh, so yeah, I think that was the biggest difference. It just, uh, you know, I'm not sure who the exact decision makers were. Les Kenning is the play caller. Les Miles obviously has input, but uh, this was a completely different Kansas offense and the players agreed with that too.
0: And, What's interesting about that is that you say that, that you know they kind of went to the spread, went with more wide receiver sets. But when you look at Kansas from a personnel perspective, the first thing I, I think of, at least me, is on weapons on offense. The first thing I think is, yeah, they got two amazing running backs. And, yeah. But you're saying it worked better because they were more spread out. Even though you know it's more receivers when when your strengths are running back, it just worked better because they had more space, more lanes.
1: Yeah, 100%. And and look, Kansas uh, doesn't necessarily have the talent up front. They, their offensive line played very well against Boston College. Uh, they had struggled kind of in earlier weeks, but they don't have the personnel to run against nine and 10 man boxes where you can just say, we are going to out athlete you and just have more strength and push you back. So still a running team. They rushed for over 300 yards. Uh, Khalil Herbert averaged 17 yards per carry, and if you take away his 82-yard run, he still averaged 10.5 yards per carry, so he had an absolute monster game, and Puka Williams still is yet to break out on the year. I think he had his first 100-yard game of the season because he had like 99 yards in week two. Uh, I think he had 122 yards, something like that, so uh, he was solid as well. The run game, definitely a focal point. It's just the way they do it, and Against Coastal Carolina, there was a sequence, it was like a third and three and a fourth and two, uh, or something like that, where they ran against a nine-man box and then a 10-man box. They didn't pick it up, and that effectively ended the game. They turned it over on downs in their own territory uh, late in the fourth quarter. And what I think they have gone to work at looking at is, how can we avoid that situation in the first place? Everyone knows we want to run, but we need to have credible threats on the outside, And I think the RPO was a huge part of that because there were times where Carter Stanley could have handed the ball off, instead pulled it back and trusted one of his receivers to make a play. uh, Mostly Andrew Parchman and Kwame Lassiter.
0: Well, there's, there's a couple guys, all three of the guys that I really wanted to touch on here that uh, West Virginia fans at least should know uh, on this offense. Uh, We already went over the two running backs uh, in Khalil and Puka, but, Let's, let's start with the, the receivers first before we get to Carter Stanley, because I feel like Carter Stanley is kind of the, the main talking point or, or the main focus here for West Virginia. But at receiver, Andrew Parchment, uh, statistically, the first thing that pops out to, to you when you look at the, at the box scores recently, uh, as far as receiving goes and the passing game, where did he come from and what is he doing so well so far?
1: he's a Juco transfer, but he does just about everything. He's really good at disguising his routes. Something you'll notice in this game, uh, I, I'm assuming, is he does this thing where he kind of like fakes like he's blocking or fakes like the play's a screen or something and then kind of goes and gets behind the defense. And it, it's helped him get some deep passes. Uh, he has really good concentration in terms of making a difficult catch off a bobble or when the ball uh, you know, gets deflected, hits a defender, something like that. The issue for him so far, though, has been the playbook. He had two plays in week two, uh, one in which he said he could have scored a touchdown, but he ran the wrong route. And the other where Kansas actually got intercepted because he, ran, he misheard or misread a signal, uh, ran the wrong route, and it moved a defensive back into an area that the Carter Stanley wasn't expecting him to be in. So it actually led to an interception. However, he has had two really good games, the first game and the third game of the season, where uh, he's made a lot of difficult catches. He's been able to get behind the defense, like I said, and he's also a really good blocker. If you go back and watch the Khalil Herbert 82 yard touchdown or uh, 82 yard run, he didn't actually score the touchdown on that play. Uh, Parchment, first of all, fakes like he's running a deep route, and he gets like 30 or 40 yards downfield before his defender realizes it's a run play. He did a great job of disguising it. And then after that, he continues to block. 40, 50, 60, 70 yards downfield on this 82-yard run. Uh, And and I think that's the kind of moment you look at and say, Kansas hasn't necessarily had a complete wide receiver like that in a while. They've had guys like Steven Sims, who's a a speedster, a little bit of a smaller guy, has done some okay things in blocking, but has had some issues with his hands. Steven Sims ended with great uh, career numbers, and because Parchment's a JUCO guy, he won't match those numbers that Sims had. But that being said, Parchman is a talent at wide receiver that K.O. hasn't had in a long time. Again, when he remembers and, and knows the play and the signals and all that.
0: Finally, at uh, for the offensive side, Carter Stanley. Uh, Mike and I talked about this on Wednesday when we did more of a West Virginia-centric preview of this weekend. And we said the focus was West Virginia was going to have to, basically what you were saying earlier, stuff nine or ten men in the box try to stop the run and make Carter Stanley make the pass and make the receivers beat West Virginia's defensive backs one-on-one. I don't think that's kind of any big secret, any crazy VIP analysis or anything there because Stanley's been up and down. Uh, I think he's lost a job a couple times in the last couple years. I don't know what I was expecting coming into this season, but sometimes when you have a new coach and new staff, it's kind of resets the whole position, but but Stanley, again, came out on top. What has he done and shown so far that made him the man for Kansas, and what can he do? Can he be a guy that can win a game with his arm?
1: You know, it's interesting because it's been mostly downs uh, this season, certainly before the Boston College game. This is a guy who was part of plays that resulted in three fumbles in week one against an FCS team. He also had a ball that hit a defensive back in both hands, popped up into the air, was caught by parchment, and was one of his bigger gains of the day. So I would say week one was, even though the offense scored 17 points, they got a defensive touchdown, too, to reach 24. Uh, I would say week one was a bad performance, and week two was a disaster. Uh, I mean, he again, two interceptions, fumbled the ball an additional time, uh, was trying too hard to force the ball downfield and make a play. Now you could argue one of the interceptions wasn't his fault because the whole parchment running the wrong route deal. But yeah, look, the fact of the matter is he hadn't been very good through two games. Less miles though. I uh, really didn't do what David Beatty did and switch the quarterbacks up over and over. And he stuck with them. Stanley threw an interception to start the Boston college game. I think it was his first pass of the game through a pretty bad pick, but then he came back and threw for three touchdowns. So Yeah, I think that has to be your strategy going against KU. Carter Stanley doesn't have the arm talent uh, to blow you away, win a Big 12 shootout in a game. Obviously, the offense put up 48 points, but a large part of that came because of the rushing attack and how good that was. And one of Carter Stanley's three touchdowns set up by that 82-yard Khalil Herbert run. So this is still going to be a run-first offense, uh, but it's interesting. You think back to the West Virginia game last year, Uh, There was never a bigger indication that Carter Stanley just wasn't David Beatty's guy. If I'm remembering this correctly, he was coming off the best game of his career against Oklahoma State, threw for something like 250 yards, three touchdowns, completed 75% of his passes, which I know doesn't sound very impressive. But Kansas and quarterbacks for the last decade has been like an absolute disaster. So it was one of the best quarterback games of the David Beatty era. After the game, David Beatty refused to put his support in him and actually, at one point, shut down questions about the quarterback and said he was done talking about that position. Then he pulled him early in the West Virginia game. And Stanley was asked about that this week. And I would say he got a little emotional about it and said it was extremely frustrating uh, that basically he had absolutely no rope to work with. And one of the very few plays he was on the field for was actually like a trick play where he was the wide receiver. So, he never really got a fair chance to play in, in the West Virginia game last year. That obviously was a very close game uh, thanks to that KU defense. So, yeah, I, I think he'll be kind of a, a maybe a barometer. I mean, if he's completing passes, if he's uh, making the right decisions in the RPO, he makes this Kansas offense good. He makes them uh, formidable, I, I would say, is probably a better way to put it. But if he's not, then I'm not going to say West Virginia is just going to blow Kansas out, but that's kind of the way you would lean.
0: Yeah, well, I— yeah, you know, that was the first thing I, I thought of when I was thinking of Carter Stanley was last year's game when West Virginia seemed unsure if he was going to be the quarterback or if Kansas was going another direction. And then well, I'm looking at it now, five of eight with an interception, and, and then he was done basically for the day. And like you said, 247, three touchdowns, and a QB rating of 171 in the game just before that. Um, wow, that's pretty wild. I That's tough. I bet it is emotional for him coming into this game now, thinking back to that. Um, I think I would
1: be too. Yeah, David Beatty and quarterback management. David Beatty had a lot of faults, as I'm sure anyone who's watched any Big 12 games with Kansas can attest. Fourth down, communication, play, just literally everything. But the quarterback (laughs) use was, it it was inexplicable at times. And Peyton Bender had pretty good numbers last year. But yeah, Carter Stanley, and this is another thing, the team has always heralded him as like the best leader that they've got at that position. And uh, it was actually after that Oklahoma state game before the West Virginia game where Steven Sims at the time was raving about how he dropped his shoulder uh, and tried to run over a guy against Texas, like two years earlier, like that place still stuck with him. Stanley did that again against Boston college. He's dropping his shoulder against the defensive back. He tried to hurdle another guy. And I, I mean, that's just the kind of guy he is, but what he is not is, hey, you've got five passes, better complete all of them or you're going to be out of the game. Like he's right. a guy that very clearly needs to get into a rhythm because he, he doesn't have this, you know, Will Greer, Patrick Mahomes-like level of I'm just going to pick my guy, throw it to him, he's going to catch it every time. Like that's just not who he is. He's probably better at maybe not throwing up 50-50 balls, but just saying, you know, let him get into a flow of a game, especially in the RPO, let him kind of get a feel for things, run a little bit, and see if he can move the offense.
0: Moving to the other side of the ball. uh, One guy that West Virginia fans certainly know uh, is a pretty interesting recruiting story with him. And he might, I don't know if he's the best player on Kansas defense, but I I think he's pretty darn good. He's been a starter for a couple of years now is is safety. Mike Lee Um, for the West Virginia fans listening who may or may not remember. He was a recruit out of Louisiana who was supposed to be part of the, I believe the 2017 class. And then ended up getting an offer from Kansas and they found some way because he had gotten ahead in his credits in high school that he could enroll right then right there and ended up enrolling at Kansas a year before he was even expected to finish high school and then was almost immediately making a difference on that defense and has been around for a couple years is is he still kind of one of the playmakers back there for for the Jayhawks
1: Yeah, the KU secondary is definitely its top unit. And Lee is one of those guys who, you know, he's never quite made the jump in terms of pass coverage. It's never been a huge strength of his. Uh, But hitting and and certainly against the run, that's been a big deal. And, you know, he had kind of struggled, at least in my view, how I had graded him out to start the year in games one and games two or game two. But, uh, yeah, against Boston College, he was huge. He had a couple of run stops in particular. Uh, where just technique, everything, the coaches had asked players to hit low, uh, knowing you're not going to bring down these gigantic running backs at Boston College without uh, really, you know, kind of knocking those guys off balance. And uh, he actually made a huge stop on a fourth down that effectively ended the game in the fourth quarter with six minutes left. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would say he's definitely one of those guys. Bryce Tornaden is another one who uh, he's never quite had, like, the speed to keep up with a lot of the guys in the Big 12 but over time, his technique, his positioning, and those things have gotten better, and that's helped him be a real contributor. I think he was—he had something like 91 tackles last year and ranked second on the team, and now he's kind of a leader of the defense. But really across the board, I mean, you'll remember the name Hassan Defense. I think he had a couple picks yep. uh, last year against West Virginia. You know, he really struggled at the cornerback position. KU moved him to safety last year, and he played really well. He had a bunch of interceptions. I think he led the team in interceptions. Um, He is now back at the cornerback position. So it's been a struggle at times. He's gotten burned and lit up a couple times, but he's also made some really solid plays in pass coverage. So he's a name to know. Uh, They've got a kid, Kyle Mayberry, who basically came from nowhere to be their number one cornerback this year. Uh, He dropped two interceptions last week, so uh, he's at least in the right positions to make plays. And then Corion Harris, another he was a four-star freshman out of Louisiana last year, now a sophomore. Uh, He's a guy you're starting to see more and more, although he hasn't uh, yet played all that great. So I I actually think it'll be interesting because the KU defense has kind of played well at times. They've also gotten away with missed assignments because of the level of competition. Uh, And, you know, now they're facing a Big 12 team. So, you know, whether or not West Virginia is at the top of the conference or closer to the bottom, it's still a Big 12 team. It's still going to be a passing league. And uh, I think this will be a real test for them.
0: I'm looking at the Kansas step chart right now and I see, you know, a standard three down linemen. I see a usual three linebackers, Sam, Will, Mike, and four defensive, two corners, two safeties. But then I see two other positions and obviously there's not going to be 12 guys on the field, but there's 12 positions listed here. The Hawk and the Jack. <laughs> what, um, I'm guessing here that a Hawk is some kind of safety and a Jack is some kind of rush end. It, do they, is Kansas flipping back and forth between like a four, a four, three, four or a, or a, a three, three, five situation here? What's going on?
1: Yeah, I, I think three, three, five was in alignment. You'll see they will run some stuff with like three down linemen and a fourth guy who's technically a linebacker, but clearly a down lineman. The Hawk position is kind of interesting. That's the main one that DJ Elliott brought with him uh, I guess it was called the buff position at, at when he was at Colorado. And it's essentially, it's this kind of like hybrid safety linebacker position that like Bryce Tornaden, who's a safety, has filled a little bit. It's made a bunch of plays in the run game. Uh, but also at times they've got other guys like uh, Azur Kamara, who's been kind of this like rusher off the edge. They've got a, a lot. It, it's a different set of terminology. But the easiest way I can kind of put it is it's basically just like a 3-4, but like you're expecting a little bit more out of your outside linebackers. I think that's kind of the easiest way to explain the position, especially the Hawk. That, that one's kind of the key. The Jack is usually just going to be typically just rushing in from the other side. But yeah, they, they have a number of different guys and skill sets who either fill that position or play It, it really depends on personnel. Again, going into the Big 12, though, I would expect you know, Kansas kind of adopted a lot of what West Virginia had done in terms of defense last year, and they did you know a good bit of like three three five, and it worked really well. So I'm guessing uh, you'll still see a lot of those concepts around, even if they have kind of changed the terminology or you know again kind of adjust what they do in terms of like the three four alignment.
0: All right, before we get to a, a quick prediction for for Saturday's game, I want to go big picture um obviously the big the big news in the offseason for kansas was the hiring of Les miles and we've seen some changes we've seen some excitement about the program recruiting seems to be going extremely well for for next year's class what are in three stages here what are the expectations or or two stages because we'll get to the game but for this season and then let's say over the next four seasons
1: Yeah, well, the expectations this year would have been low, but Les Miles talked up a number of times winning in year one and playing dominant football and whatnot, and the level they recruited at for their 2020 recruiting class, which I think still ranks fourth in the Big 12. It was up at third and even up at second for a good bit of the summer. They got a bunch of commits, though, in one early weekend, so that obviously is going to shift the numbers. Uh, The big thing I look at is if they don't win games, they're not going to keep a lot of these guys and after the first week, the Indiana State week, I talked to some recruits and a couple of them, including their top ranked recruit in the class, a four star kid out of Texas, Brendan Scott, basically said he thought, you know, they should probably be winning by more against an FCS team. Now, after the Coastal Carolina game, things look kind of dour and you wonder, you know, they go one and 11. How many of those recruits, they have 26 committed in class. How many of those do they hang on to, especially at the top? I think the Boston College win was huge for that. I'm not sure how many games they'll win. I'm not sure how many they can win. K-State looks a lot better uh, than I think a lot of us thought they would this season. And that's a game that before you would say, well, hey, Kansas gets them at home. Maybe it's a win. Now you would say, I don't know. K-State looks pretty good. And and I think the same could be said. You know, you watch West Virginia through two weeks and you think, man, KU has a shot to beat this team. You watch them last week and say, hmm, this may be another tough game for Kansas. So. I don't know if they can win three or four games this year. I think people would consider that a success. I don't think people are asking them to win a bowl game in week one, but by, you know, four years, they got to make a bowl game. Like, like that's the end of the day. And Les Miles doesn't have to be this great tactician. He doesn't have to be this, you know, guy who has his handprint on every single piece of the program. But what they're asking him to do is bring in good assistance, Um, bring in money by winning games and being less miles and whatnot, having this reputation, bring credibility to the program. And in turn, the program and the university, K was spending more money on football than it has in the past. Like, yeah, they got a huge donation under the last athletic director, which essentially led to the renaming of the stadium after a booster. But like they are now filling support staff positions, hiring extra analysts, bringing on these staff members that are going to help make this football team uh, just uh, bring it up to speed with the rest of the Big 12. So I think that's where that expectation comes from. It's basically saying, hey, we're spending on football now, so you need to go out and win. And, and I think that's kind of been the message from the administration. It's why you go get less Miles. And again, uh, if he could just be like the CEO of the program, the guy who forms a staff, lets them work, and then also handles the recruiting end, And being kind of the figurehead of the program, not unlike maybe Herman Edwards that, you know, out west, then I think that would be the success for Kansas.
0: So so what you're saying is KU football is bigger than KU basketball now. That's kind of. news.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's got a ways to go. But I'll tell you this. uh, The stadium holds like 50,000 fans. And last game, whatever reported attendance was, there were games where there were fewer fans in that stadium than would be in Allen Fieldhouse, which holds 16,000. This (laughs) year it's different. They've hit over 30,000 their first two games. And I'm guessing the West Virginia game is going to have something like 35 to 40. But that being said, like, I mean, last year it it was almost, like, I don't want to use the word comical. That's kind of condescending. But fan support completely turned off. And by the end of the season, like, You could count all the fans in the stadium for the game, especially if you waited until after halftime. You won't see that anymore. So maybe it's not bigger than basketball, but certainly trending in the right direction.
0: Well, the first step to that, to trending in that direction, is this weekend. Um, As we've gone over for the last 24 minutes, West Virginia, Kansas looked pretty bad week one, week two. Week three, they both looked great surprisingly great and now they're going to face off each other uh, against each other to begin big 12 play so let's hop right into it uh short and sweet what's your prediction for this weekend
1: it's still a really tough one because i mean i don't have a read on what kansas's offense is even going to look like if they're going to revert back to what they were doing the first two weeks of the season if carter stanley is going to revert back to the same turnover issues Right now, I, I would probably say KU being at home 21-17, and it's kind of a cop-out pick because it's like the three-point bump for uh, you know a home game, which would mean I'd, I'd be picking West Virginia uh, if this game were at West Virginia. But again, uh, you know, I, I can see scenarios where West Virginia wins this game big. I'm not sure I necessarily see KU winning this game in a blowout, but I think playing at home uh, and coming off that huge Boston College win, I think KU has found a formula that works. Uh, and I, I kind of trust them at this point to be able to shorten the game enough to limit possessions and be efficient enough with the run game to, to go get a win. But again, I've covered this team for like five years now. And picking Kansas wins, especially in Big 12 play, it's like a really dangerous thing. You know, I picked them to beat Rutgers last year. I felt awful about it. I picked them to win by like one point or something. And they won 55 to 14. And I look back at that and I say, going into that game, like it – you couldn't have picked Kansas in a blowout. You just can never have that confidence until they actually win a bunch of games like that. So yeah, I I would say a narrow win for Kansas, but uh, if someone wanted to tell me they see West Virginia winning by a touchdown or two, I would not disagree. I would not tell them they're crazy. I think that's certainly in play.
0: Well, Scott, I really appreciate you coming on uh, for our podcast this week. And can you tell our listeners where they can find your stuff?
1: Yeah, for sure. If you're interested in reading about Kansas, especially on the VIP side, we have, uh, some content each, each uh, week that breaks down the team. We do a player of the game, top and bottom performers, uh, player grades, a film room. So uh, you'll be able to find all of that at fog.net. I'm on Twitter at chasen Scott. Uh, if you want to yell at me for something I said and tell me that I'm an idiot.
0: Well, you did pick against West Virginia, and I can tell you that uh, that doesn't go over well. We've had that the last two weeks. And oh uh, I believe the Missouri guy, uh, Eric Bloom, he picked Missouri by four touchdowns. Missouri won by four touchdowns, and he still got it. So just prepare yourself. Just prepare yourself. All right, Scott, thanks a lot. And, and guys, again, you can you can listen to this podcast on here. You can read our Q&A with Scott from earlier in the week. Also at earsports.com, we'll have plenty of coverage before the game and after. And be sure to check out fog.net for the Kansas point of view. Uh, and that will wrap it up for today. You will hear from Mike and I after the game. Thanks for listening. Okay.